Hello and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm Devendra Hardwar, and today I'm joined with... Jeff Kanata. Jeff Kanata! That's me! I, I, I used to be on this show! Wow! Jeff Kanata's back, <laughs> and uh, Dave Chen is gone, so yeah, I guess we've just replaced one be. for the other. Yeah. It's, I think you guys upgraded. I mean, I think we all upgraded. I think that's what happened, <laughs> is we upgraded. There could no, be only missed... one other co-host, basically. <laughs> we miss Dave. He's off gallivanting all around the world right now, right? Apparently. Is it Iceland, I believe? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Reykjavik. Yeah. Yeah. Go take a look at his vacation photos and everything over Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but Jeff is back. Jeff, how how has the past few weeks been for you? Pretty terrible, Devendra. <laughs> Pretty terrible. Um, as uh, I'm sure everybody listening knows, um, my eye exploded <laughs> about a month ago. And uh, I got a detached retina. Uh, and one of the first questions people always ask me when I tell them that, uh, uh-huh. which hasn't been too long now, but <laughs> is, is what happened and how can I prevent it happening to me? Yes. Uh, and how do I save myself? Is, yeah. Yeah. The bad news is I do not know. And <laughs> I do not know. Um, evidently the thing that caused my detached retina mm-hmm. occurs naturally in everyone. Your eye jelly point. just kind of, yeah, disappears a little bit. It just, yeah. It, you, yeah. You, you detaches from the whatever. Uh-huh. So it, Unfortunately for me, it happened a little more violently than it's supposed to. And mm. so there was a, a big tear and my retina detached. That's rare. It doesn't happen for most people. It does. It is uh, you're at a higher risk if you are very nearsighted, which mm. I am or which I was. And then I got LASIK and then I am again. So I got I'm nearsighted. So the the shape of the eye, which is very ovular, very uh, much like an oval, um, can lead to that. So, you know, I mean, you know, if you have, if you're very nearsighted, uh, then, you know, go to your optometrist regularly. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That describes (laughs) to me as well. So yeah, I need to keep an eye on that. I, this is news to me, by the way, I didn't know I was high risk for anything. I didn't know it just happened. Uh, Mm -hmm. and basically what happened was I got a big splotch in my vision, big gray splotch. And I was like, that's not good. That doesn't belong there. (laughs) Uh, so I went and got it checked and, uh, it was, it, I had to go into surgery pretty quickly. So it wasn't as bad as I was initially led to believe. Okay. Uh, I think I talked about this before, yeah, but yeah. yeah. So we got a second opinion. The first doctor really painted a very bleak six week long, uh, recovery period where I was going to have to be face down and not talk and not move. And it was, it, it sounded awful. And we got the second opinion and this went with a second doctor who um, did something called a scleral buckle, which uh, roped my retina uh, around my eye and kept it in place. And so basically what's been going on the last several weeks is um, I have been forced to do nothing mm-hmm. and look at the world through one eye. So uh, I haven't really – I mean I have felt bad, but most of the time I haven't felt that bad. Uh, it is <laughs> – Which is actually more frustrating because I couldn't focus on anything for long periods of time. I couldn't watch. I I didn't. I I was like, before the surgery, I was like, okay, I'm going to load up my iPad with all these shows that I've been wanting to. You know, all my. I'm going to download Netflix stuff. I'm going to download Amazon Prime stuff. I'm going to like. I'm going to binge watch all this stuff because I have to stay in one position. But ultimately, if I looked at anything for too long, my eye would start to ache and. Uh, water and it would be very uncomfortable and I'd want to lay down and have a massive headache and it would be terrible. So I barely basically didn't watch anything longer than a half an hour for weeks. And, um, I just preferred to sit around with my eyes closed. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
But you didn't so have to I, like lay in one position like the other like operation would have right. made you, right? Yes. The first operation was like weeks of being in a very specific position, which okay. I had to be in a very specific position for one night. Okay. And it was excruciating. So I mean, I had 24 hour period. I had to be face down and I was like, oh my God, I was supposed to be doing this for weeks. Wow. This is, it was, it was brutal. Always get a second Even, opinion folks. Wow. Yeah. That is, that is sage advice. Uh, <laughs> very, very true. I'm so glad that we did. I can, uh, we throughout the whole time, my wife and I would be like, uh, you would still be face down right now. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> um, but even so, I, I still to today I'm I still have to sleep in a very specific position. I mm. have to sleep face down with my my head in one posi- position. I'm not allowed to lay on my back still, um, which is basically means my nights are pretty restless and I don't get very good sleep. But it's a pretty small price to pay overall. Um, and also, like you still got to like hang out with your kids and and do yes. stuff with your kids, and I feel like that talk for, to them. Yes. Yeah, like if when I'm away on work trips, like the the thing I miss most right now is being with Sophia and my wife. You know, and yeah. so at least you got to do that, even if you can't yeah. keep your eyes open for very long. And my son would have had a really hard time because yeah. he's he just turned three. He he understands stuff. He kept asking about daddy's boo boo, and he's like, "Can I see it, daddy?" And then he's mm-hmm. like, "Can I kiss your eye and make it better?" So I mean, he. I, being able to have those interactions where he understood because if I had just been face down, unable to talk, my wife would have been like, daddy can't talk to daddy. Can't be. So I wouldn't have even been in his life for weeks. And that was, that was heart wrenching. The prospect of that was heart wrenching. That'd been rough. Well, Um, Jeff, what are there things you did get to see or read or things you want to talk about? Yeah. I mean, I did, uh, I did listen to a lot of audiobooks. I am grateful for, to you, Devendra, who sent me audiobooks and other uh, listeners of the show sent me some audiobooks. Um, I listened to Grant. Uh, I don't know if Grant is a uh, slash filmcast listener or a DLC listener, but Grant sent me uh, a an audiobook called Senlin Ascends. Have you heard of this? I don't think so. No, it's great. Uh, I I really recommend it. Um, it is a relatively new. I think it just came out in the last couple of years, maybe maybe a little longer than that, but a relatively new uh, fantasy book. Uh, w- it was a self published. Uh, author who then got a publishing deal because it, it kind of blew up. It became this very um, grassroots, you know, kind of got a lot of traction. Mm-hmm. People just found it. Uh, and it is um, kind of an Alice in Wonderlandy kind of deal where this very normal dude uh, goes to this fantastical place called the, the Tower of Babel that he's only heard about. And every level of the tower, which is this giant tower, is like its own country. And he goes up and each one has bizarre rules and does crazy things. <laughs> and he loses his wife and he's trying to find her in there. And meanwhile, she's having her own adventure in the tower. Um, but what I liked about it is that it is uh, – the prose is is just wonderful. It is just beautifully written. The construction of the sentences and the vocabulary, it is – I really love that when I find an author who can just put together great oh, sentences. Great. So this isn't like a Martian scenario when it comes to self-published books, right? N- no. <laughs> what yeah. do you mean by that? Well, you know, I like, I like the Martian and I like that. Uh, I like Andy Weir, but uh, that, that book is a little hard to read just in terms of like how it's written basically. No, no, this is, yeah. this is very, very well written. The only gripe that I would have about it is that it is so Alice in Wonderlandy um, that it doesn't, it, it it's like, what are even the rules of this place? You know, and I, I sometimes get a little. You guys love your rules, like, yeah. I do, yeah. But what's like the next floor? It's like, well, it's all bonkers here. It's like, well, what? 
how is that possible? How does one floor <laughs> up change? But uh, just the beauty of the prose itself is worth recommending. Senlin ascends. So uh, I, I listened to a couple more. I'll talk about them maybe in future episodes. Cool. Yeah. But um, as far as visual things, like I said, I had a hard time doing anything that was longer than a half an hour. That was about about the limit of what I could do before I had to lie down. So I used the time to actually catch up on Barry, which I loved the first season, mm-hmm. and I don't know what happened. Oh I, wow, I yeah, gonna, you haven't I think seen because my two wife, yet. yeah, my wife wasn't into the show, so it didn't become a show we watched together. Right, so right. I ended up just sort of not getting around to watching season two at all. I hadn't even started season two. So I watched all of season two uh, while I was out. And season two of Barry, have you seen season two? Oh, yes. It is phenomenal. Yeah. Unbelievable. That show is incredible. I I hope it gets all the Emmys, basically. Yeah, it deserves it. deserves it. I mean, Henry Winkler is incredible. Uh, It it is. It's as somebody who moved to L.A. to be an actor (laughs) and has lived in North Hollywood and gone to acting classes in North Hollywood and had an acting teacher that was much too similar to the character <laughs> that Henry Winkler plays in that show. I mean, the, the show really hits home on a, a very fundamental level for me. Like I know those actors. I've been in that class. I, I lived that, but the show is like, it doesn't rely just on that gimmick. It mm-hmm. is so much more interesting and complex and deep. And there is one episode in particular in season two that, uh, um, yeah. oh, what's the name of the guy who who's plays Barry? Um, yeah. Bill Hader. What's his name? Yeah, Bill Hader. Yeah. That Bill Hader directed. Is it is it the little girl one? Yes. Yeah. Holy crap! That it's, episode, it's just like this weird side story of insanity. Yes. Yeah. It is, but it is so beautifully <laughs> presented, and it just unfolds in this insane way, and you're yeah. like, what? What? Uh. Yeah, I mean it's violent and weird, and and it, it I mean it's it's like a Tarantino movie in some ways. It is, it's great. And like I was like, Bill Hader directed this episode. <laughs> Bill Hader, oh I love him so much. Now after this, and certainly after, he's probably the best part of it too. I, you haven't yeah. seen that yet, Jeff? Have you? That's three uh, hours long. It too. No, I have not seen it too yet. You no. can you could probably wait, wait a little while on that, but he is the best part of that movie for sure. I yeah. just love this man so much. He has become. A, a a fantastic actor. Yeah, like the guy, the guy with the goofy voices from Saturday Night Live, has become an absolute a great actor. Act- I mean, yes. documentary now also proved that he was also pretty like nerdy and like could really get into the nitty gritty of filmmaking and stuff too. So, I, I love that Barry exists basically to show us like the the full beauty of Bill Hader. It's an extraordinary show because I don't know any other show that can dance between tones uh-huh, uh-huh. like that show. I mean, it is goofy, b- just silly comedy, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, uh, like no ho Hank can exist. And then you go yes! to a straight dramatic scene and it's so, yes! it's so, it, it, it so is, perfect. It, it yeah. wallops you in the gut with emotional stuff. It, it goes into like Looney Tunesville with, <laughs> you know, wacky characters and wacky situations. And it does them like back to back. And it, I was like, how does this show pull that off? I don't know of any other show that does that so deftly and so consistently. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Barry season two just made Barry season one seem like amateur hour and very season one <laughs> me away. I, I just, I can, I hope that show continues. And I mean, the, the ending of the season ends in a really wonderful, juicy cliffhanger. So I'm, I'm hoping that show continues. Cause they it's, really it's, know how to do those season cliffhangers at this point. Like, yeah, yeah. just so perfect. Excellent. Anything yeah. else you want to mention, Jeff? 
Uh, I mean, there's there's other things that I can uh, tease out as in the next few episodes, but I, um, you know, I, I want to say one more time. Sure. I, I know I said it a few weeks ago when I was on for the movie wager episode, but I want to say it again. How grateful I am to all of the Slash Film Cast listeners who sent me messages, uh, audio messages, uh, and email messages and so much support and positivity and goodwill to both me and my family. It, I, I can't even tell you how much it meant to us. It really had an impact. And to be able to sit around while I had this crazy patch on my eye and felt awful and just had hung my head forward to be able to sit there with my wife and listen to the kind messages that all of you sent in and the, how much this show means to you and and my contributions. I, I just, it heartened me and it, it really helped me through a very tough time and I'm eternally grateful. So I, I, I will strive to continue to uh, put out good content and, and hopefully make all of you proud. Glad to have you back, Jeff. And I will say, like, the, the outpouring of love got so crazy that a uh, random PC maker <laughs> yeah. just e- like apparently somebody sent a postcard. To, I think it's Northwest Falcon or something and uh addressed to jeff but at this pc maker and i know uh, the person's emailing me and they're like is this for jeff so i think uh, we're we're gonna get that card to you jeff but it's funny that yeah it's just uh, people are just like throwing out jeff canada well wishes like into the air and hoping it gets to you and this one (laughs) will okay we're gonna make sure of it it. i i would love to know the story of how that got sent to Falcon Northwest, but, uh, it, 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 I appreciate the, uh, the intention <laughs> and I am so grateful. And, and I'm also grateful to you, Devendra and to Dave, um, for, you know, understanding and, and helping me out and no, being so no supportive. We, we you know, didn't for... have to do anything. You had to do all the hard work. So <laughs> we are, it's, well, it's so glad to have you back and we'll, we'll have the full crew back soon. Uh, looking forward to like our future reviews. Uh, yes. it looks like a strong fall season so far. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, speaking of the fall season, I uh, I got to see the very first screening of Gemini Man, Ang Ooh. Lee's next movie. I saw the Dolby starring uh, starring Will Smith starring and Will Smith, Will Smith old and Will Smith young versus yeah. each other. Um, I saw this movie old and at, busted and the new hotness. Well, he's yeah, yeah, old. <laughs> certainly not busted. Like he was never busted. Like that's the thing. Uh, so I can't like fully review this movie yet, but I can talk about the tech. And I saw this thing at the Dolby, Dolby's like little private theater here in New York, which is a very nice space. If you can ever get like a fan screening in there, they, they hold things occasionally. Um, I saw it there in a 120 FPS. So the same wow. thing he did Billy Lynn in. Um, it was 2K, not 4K, but they shot it in 120 FPS, 4K, and also Dolby Vision and also 3D. So like all these things stacked on each other to basically create this very realistic looking action movie and the movie itself is very much like um i I think of like a 90s sci-fi spy movie in certain ways like it has a lot of those elements but this technology like makes everything look insanely real there is a motorcycle this is is the same thing that that the hobbit was filmed not quite the same thing the hobbit was i believe 48 fps so didn't go as far uh, but mm-hmm. like the same idea, like right high frame rate. But I think yeah. what's really interesting is that uh, very few people have seen Billy Lynn, and certainly even fewer have seen Billy Lynn in the full, uh, full presentation, as it were, because that movie right. only screened in three theaters in the entire world with that format. So that was here in New York, I believe, L.A. and Taiwan. It may even be two theaters, but it was a very limited rollout. So I saw that thing. 
that was a really not a great movie, but it looked really interesting just because everything was so realistic. And I feel like um, Ang Lee has really honed in that technology quite a bit. So when you're making a movie like this, it is sort of like the jump from SD to HD, like when mm. all the late night sets had to like, you can't have a cardboard desk anymore, right? You have to have a real desk because <laughs> yeah. we can see yeah, it. We got makeup. Uh, people who applied makeup exactly. uh, had to uh, completely relearn their craft. The background, I remember like when that happened, like Conan's set, like Conan always, they put as very little money into Conan as they could. So yeah. his set actually finally got like a decent upgrade with that. So with this, um, everything is so real. You kind of have to rethink of how you shoot and how you edit and how you light a scene. And I think the problem with The Hobbit was that Peter Jackson just took this tech and just made a movie as he normally would. And it looked mm-hmm. ugly as hell. Like, I hated that presentation. Uh, we watched all those movies. I think we reviewed them all. Uh, completely hated that experience. Billy they Lynn, look like video. They look like video. Does, did yes. Gemini Man look like video? Well, it's still... It, it depends on what you mean by look like video. It has an unreal effect because it is, mm-hmm. I would say, hyper-realistic. Like, it looks like there's a giant Will Smith standing in front of you in most of these scenes and that's what it is like it's like you're looking through a window it's like if you were in a play but the play was being shot by a camera but the camera was just perceiving reality it's it's kind of wild and i also uh got to have a little sit down chat with ang lee in a round table too so that was also super exciting um but him like this is a guy that's basically been chasing realism in his movies for a while so Basically through um, through Life of Pi, where he really did some interesting 3D work, and Billy Lynn, and now yeah. this. Like, he is chasing... He's the opposite of Christopher Nolan. He is chasing pure digital realism. And I'm excited to see where he goes, because I think he is certainly pioneering this area. Uh, the movie... I, I'm not sure it's going to be everybody's cup of tea, but I think there's some great action scenes. There's a motorcycle chase that is so feels so weird and hyper-realistic because it's like you're there on the back of this motorcycle with Will Smith as he's, like, careening down um, random Colombian side streets, and there, there's, like, a bike-foo fight right after that. There's a hand-to-hand fight between older Will Smith and younger Will Smith that is so gritty and dirty and brutal that you you basically couldn't even do it with a stunt person because it it's too real and too raw. So... I think there's some really fun stuff. And yeah, the young Will Smith is a fully CG character. He's not just a de-aged Will Smith. So there's a lot of really cool things going on here. It's sort of like um, watching the future of filmmaking, right? Like when you can make any actor young, get any actor from any particular time period and just like have a screenshot of them. Yeah, put them into your movie. I think it's a step ahead of what the Marvel movies have been doing because it's not just de-aging. And yeah, it's fascinating. I hope we get to review this thing and talk about it um, overall. But yeah, as an action movie, like I, I was pumped. Like to me, this movie felt as important and transformative as Avatar. But I don't. It's not going to wow. do that amount of money. But in terms of like what the future of cinema could look like, I think it's just as important. So I know this is mm-hmm. to a very very small subset of people. But if you have any opportunity to see this in that format yes do you think that that's worthwhile that's, pretty much i would say that's the way to see this movie because that's mm. that's that's how the movie is meant to be seen so like whenever there's a 3d movie we recommend going to 3d if that's how it was filmed uh same here i believe most major theater chains are going to have high frame rate screens the good thing about the hobbit is that it pushed a lot of theaters to get the newer projectors but i believe they need even newer ones now so i'm not <laughs> sure what the full strategy is going to be I believe a lot of them are going to be 60 FPS presentations, uh, 60 FPS 3D. So you, I don't even know if today you can get the full 
4K 120 FPS experience, but uh, mm. yeah, it's it's yeah. something. He's he's pushing boundaries, and that's why I love about Ang Lee is that he's just always trying new things. So there's that. I'm very much looking forward to seeing Gemini Man. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, it's I mean, gonna be a fun chat, uh, certainly yeah. about the tech because I'm just I'm super hyped about this. Uh, also, just wanted to briefly mention Control, which is the mm, new game by yeah. Remedy. Uh, I, I I love this game. I'm obsessed with this game. I've played all of Remedy's things, and I hated quantum break i did not that was their last one it was a microsoft exclusive it was sort of like a tv show it was like a video game and they would give you like a half an hour of tv show episode and the tv show part of it was real bad the actual yeah. like writing and story i, I didn't really take uh, i didn't really care for i found like the mechanics good and control really brings those mechanics home so running around shooting teleporting and uh tbd other powers i think are are all really fun it's a fun game to play the world is really rich and it's instantly mysterious too. Like you're playing in this thing called uh, the oldest house and it's, it's like an invisible skyscraper. It's an invisible office building in the middle of New York that nobody can see unless you're looking for it. And it's filled with all these weird objects that sort of like break reality. And it's about a, the, the federal Bureau of control, which is kind of trying to keep uh, the sense of reality for the public uh, in control, basically sort of like, everything Mulder worried about with the X-Files, like if that was actually an entire agency and they, they knew this all existed and they, their job was to actually, you know, uh, deal with, uh, I don't know, parallel realities or dimension warps or something like that. Like it, it is wild. I love the fiction of this world. I love how like this game just goes deep into being weird and never really lets go. So uh, I'm sure you haven't had much time for games, Jeff, but this is the one to play, play it on your computer. Cause the console, yeah. the console versions are not good. This is the one to play, and it's amazing. I'm hooked. I'm I'm obsessed, and apparently they're they're tying it into some earlier games, which is kind of amazing. So yeah, fully fully on board with Control. This is exactly what I want to see from Remedy, and certainly yeah. game narrative. I think it does some really cool stuff. And also, quick shout out to Apple Arcade, which uh, not something we typically talk about, but there's some great indie games there. Um, I did the preview of it before it launched and I was astounded by like just the high quality of the games. And these aren't normal mobile games. There's no, um, you know, there's no microtransactions. You're not paying for these games. You're just paying five bucks a month for your whole family. Uh, there are games here that, um, there's a game called Overworld, which is a post-apocalyptic or overland. I forget, but it's a post-apocalyptic tactical game. It's selling for the switch for 25 bucks and other platforms for that same price. And you can play it on your, you know, Mac or iOS device for this $5 monthly subscription. There are nearly 100 games. Most of them are kind of exclusive to the platform, too. So, yeah, I feel weird about that. But the games are mostly good. So, Are you yeah. playing them on your phone or not? I'm playing them on my phone. Uh, you can play some on your Apple TV. Uh, also, they cloud save. Like, it's all just pretty seamless. Like, you could start mm. a game in one place, continue it from another uh, right. That is kind of the dream of gaming, like a fully multi-platform game. Uh, I'm really digging it. And the, the quality of the games is mainly my main thing. And it is, it's fantastic. Like Apple just chose a really great selection of things. So if, you, if you're if you bored, if you want to play some good mobile games on the go, check it out. Um, I think it's worth the trial period. And for five bucks, it seems like a no-brainer just for the quality of the game so far. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I've been... It's like I took a month and I just haven't been. <laughs> so many things. There's oh, new iPhones, so Jeff. So many things. There are new iPhones. I know. Mine um, hasn't arrived yet. But yeah, I, we're we're yeah. waiting for like uh, apparently somebody called in something about Trump, and uh, we're we're waiting for something to happen there. Yeah, uh, the world's yeah. on fire. Everything's insane. Uh, but glad to crazy. have you back. I, 
I really need to start reading news. <laughs> so many things. All right, let's head to our review of Hustlers. I don't want to be dependent on anybody. I just want to be able to take care of my grandma, maybe go shopping every once in a while. These Wall Street guys. You want them drunk enough to get their credit card? But sober enough to sign a check. I really want to see you guys. that was from the trailer for hustlers lorraine scafario's next film i'm gonna read the summary here from imdb Inspired by the viral New York Magazine article, Hustlers follows a savvy crew of former strip club employees who band together to turn the tables on their Wall Street clients. And boy, do they. Joining us is Ingu Kang, uh, a -a once-in-a-while guest at the Slash Filmcast and a staff writer at Slate. Ingu, thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be here. Awesome. And I really dug your review. What did you think of the film? I will definitely say that when I went into this movie about a bunch of stripper scammers, um, (laughs) I did not expect to cry. (laughs) And I most definitely did not expect to cry four different times. Same. Okay. And... I think that the fact that, like, the movie is, like, as moving as it is, is really, like, a testament to how wonderfully and, like, skillfully it's made. Hmm. Excellent. And, Jeff, this is your first your first full review. Coming back in from recovery, uh, the, I assume this is probably one of the first things you've also seen since, um, I yes. guess, your recovery has been going. What was yes. that experience like? And, uh, yeah, what did you think of the movie? Well, the first movie to watch, like, right after eye surgery. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. But, like... No, no, it, it wasn't right after eye surgery. It was several <laughs> weeks after eye surgery. But it was the first movie. It was the first theater experience uh, I had after yeah. eye surgery. And you're like, this uh, is this is why it's good to have uh, working vision, like, for a yes. movie like this, basically. Yeah, I mean, I'm still uh, I'm still working with one right now. I'm 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 a half half the eyeballs I used to be, but uh, uh, yeah, I um, yeah, well, Devendra, I guess my thoughts about this movie are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Okay, uh, an entertaining rise and fall mixed with a shopping haul, but the sentimentality is just too easy to see, even with just one eyeball. Uh, I actually have the opposite feeling from Ingu because I felt like the, the sentimentality of this movie mm-hmm. was it, it detracted from it actually. And I, I really enjoyed a lot of it. I felt like it was, it had a quick pace. It was, um, it, it had, there was a lot of fun to be had. The performances across the board are really delicious and fun. That these these women are having a great time, it seems, and uh, you're along for the ride. And this does feel a bit to me like it, you know the uh, the Goodfellas uh, f- from the female perspective. Perhaps. Very much, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But I, you know, I think one of the things I enjoy about Goodfellas, Goodfellas is that it doesn't seem to have any sentimentality about its characters it 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 kind of just shows them 
raw and it doesn't quite care whether they're okay at the end. You know, it shows them doing horrible things and then, you know, that life is hard and, and it sucks. And I think this movie just leans into, hey, these are very likable people a little more than I would have liked. And um, I feel like the movie wants us to sympathize with them and uh, like them and root for their relationships with each other. And I think the relationships between the women is one of the strengths of the movie. Mm -hmm. But I think by the end, asking us to or asking me to root for them. They did some horrible things. You know, they, they did some horrible things. Sure. And as did every I, single guy in every single Scorsese movie, basically. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it's one of the things that I didn't like about Wolf of Wall Street is that it, I felt like it let its characters off the hook too sure, easy. Sure. Or Taxi Driver, that, which literally lets him off the hook. <laughs> right. Right. No, that's actually a very good point. Yeah. But I think like Goodfellas is, is a great and, and even the Godfather movies are pretty good about making you realize these are awful. Not making you realize it's not the job of the movie no. to make you realize. Everybody it's roots just the, for them, though. Everybody like they're bad. people. They're doing bad things. But everybody roots for the Corleone family. Everybody roots for the main yeah. characters of Goodfellas. Like that's that's the thing. I don't think this is any different. Then this Maybe. sort of like but boys I think behaving it is badly. Thing. Different. I really do think yeah. it is different. Well, it, just in terms of this aspect like... of what Jeff is saying, that's all I'm saying. But yeah, there no, are certainly layers that's... here. Yeah. That's what like I'm responding to yeah, because yeah. I think that like the way that like we view male transgression and the way that we view female transgression are not really the same. Yeah. And so I don't think that like women, for example, are allowed the kind of like a are not generally like given like the benefit of the doubt of or like there's mm -hmm. no like boys will be there's no like girls will be girls sort of like attitude right. toward like women right right and right. so like i to me like it does i understand that like where jeff is coming from when he says that like we that the movie sort of like gives too much of a rosy-eyed perspective to these like people who are doing Pretty terrible things. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that was like my dog. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think that on the other hand, like the fact that we even have a movie about a bunch of female criminals, like actually speaks to something like about 2019. And wasn't there yeah. was another movie called Hustler, right? Or something which was also female led, I, th I think, or something like that. Something else that came out recently and nobody seemed to have seen. I don't know. I agree with you. And, and I, I think that it's a great thing. And I really enjoyed, you know, like three fourths of this movie. And I just felt, I mean, we'll talk about spoilers, but mm -hmm. I just felt the, the, the last bit dipped into a little maudlin sentimental note that I didn't think the rest of the movie warranted. I didn't sure, think sure. that we needed to go there. It could, it could have been more stark than that. It could have been, I think more raw than that. And, and for my money it would have been more interesting that way instead of, instead of dipping into that. But that mm -hmm. I, I do like a lot of this movie and I actually, I'm very curious Ingu. I was wondering what the perception of the sort of male gaziness of this movie is. Cause there's a lot of screen time given to stripping, frankly, and like, and dancing. I think that here's the thing. So when I was watching, right after I watched the movie, which was like at a press screening, which uh, included some civilians, mm -hmm. 
there was I was like talking to a friend and we were sort of a critic friend. Um, her name is Dana Han Klein. And we were ta- and I was like, what did you think? And she was like, oh, my God, I was seated next to like the worst person <laughs> who kept catcalling like yeah. the actresses. Yeah. And I and then they can I definitely hear you. Yes. <laughs> and I remember there was like a point at which like there was there's like a scene in the middle of the movie where sort of Constance Wu's character undergoes like one of like the biggest humiliations of her whole career and like you see it cuts to like sort of like the present time of like the movie which is like several years later when her character is relating all of this stuff to a journalist played by julia styles julia styles for some reason yeah yeah and like as (laughs) she's for like a weekend (laughs) and as she's like recounting this like horrific thing that happened to her like there was like one guy in the theater who Mm -hmm. was like laughing out loud at like her humiliation and so i feel like to a large extent i think that like the movie is sort of about like what people want to see you know like i think there's going to be at least some men who go into this movie and are basically like hey i'm gonna watch like titties or whatever Mm -hmm. and like that's what they're gonna get out of it but i think that really i like i the movie is like so much not about like the male gaze yeah. and if it is it's so much about like how the male gaze can be co- commodified and sort of like exploited and you get like basically like if you look at the actresses like they don't show their breath mm-hmm. you see mm-hmm. like one performer in the movie who gets like full frontal naked they don't make a big deal a, of it yeah. yeah and it's a man yeah and so basically like the movie is so much about like the movie like features mm-hmm. like female nudity, but like also is extremely not about that because so much of the movie is oriented around stripping as like mm-hmm. labor. Yeah. And, and I think like we get one big strip tease that like Jennifer Lopez oh, uh, iconic introduction to that character. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. Yes. It is truly amazing. I honestly got mad because I was like, how is this woman older than me? <laughs> how um, is she so good? Yes. That's the question. And like this the thing is that, like, even she though found the fountain of youth somehow, I don't understand yeah. it. It's very infuriating. Jennifer, call me. <laughs> but I think like so much of like that performance, which is supposed to be like obviously about like her performing for men, is really like refracted through Constance Wu looking at her the entire time. Mm-hmm. And even though like she is like writhing around this pole like you get the sense from that performance that like that woman on stage is controlling that entire room that's the way that like the movie is like framed that's the way the choreography is set up Mm -hmm. and so yeah i just like fundamentally reject this idea about like the male gaze in this movie it's also directed by a woman too i think and that's that's important like it's a movie like this that has a very specific viewpoint i'd say like there's certainly like you know there are scenes um that really feature all of the actresses bodies in certain ways but i also think it's done in a really like surprisingly respectful way in sort of like respecting the talent and the skill involved in doing this thing like there 
there's that great, you know, the the Jennifer Lopez introduction scene, which clearly, clearly shows her in control of the entire audience, uh, making tremendous use of the widescreen in like a really fantastic way. Like you just have that full view of the stage, edge to edge of the screen, and she is doing her thing in the center. And it's just it's it's iconic. It feels like watching like I don't know the best fight choreography or something like just everything she's doing and it's all her i believe um it's all her just like putting it all out there and it's it's such a great introduction but there's a scene later on where it's just her teaching constant Wu's character how to do certain moves and then it's so then it's just so effortless and it's at the same time it's not i don't it's not as showy but it's certainly like look at the skill that you know a performer like jennifer lopez can have uh, doing something that people might find degrading or, I don't know, not a super respectful job, but the skill involved in it is certainly impressive. That was right? one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah. Because, like, all she's doing is she's, like, trolling around the pole. Yeah. But she's doing it in, like, so many different <laughs> variations, and all of these variations have names. Mm-hmm. And she's just sort of, like, going down through, like, a list. It's basically, like, a college lecture, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, there's this, like, taxonomy yeah. of... A student sitting on the floor dances. watching the texture, the, the professor just lecturing. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. And so, like, again, you see sort of, like, how all of this is, like, a... Like, a prof- there's, like, a professionalization to it mm-hmm. that I think is, like, really intoxicating because I think so much of their friendship is really based on like this idea that like both of these women are strivers. Mm -hmm. And so when Jennifer Lopez, this character who is sort of like a strip club veteran, like looks at this newcomer played by Constance Wu, like what she sees is sort of like untapped potential. Mm -hmm. Like instead of like, Oh, here's like some new meat. And, like, I loved that part of the movie, and I loved that part of their friendship, that, like, these aren't just, like, two women who happen to work at the same workplace. They're, like, two women who, like, really have a fundamental respect for, like, hustling, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And l- let me just lay out my thoughts here. Uh, I love this movie. If you, if you guys can't tell, um, it is, I, I, so I ended up seeing this, I didn't get to go like early or anything. So I saw this at like 11 AM, uh, on a Saturday or something. It was not a big crowd. And I was certainly also, it it didn't occur to me to, at the time, but it did feel weird to be sitting up front row at the, you know, the Jennifer Lopez stripper movie just to, I I don't know, felt a little weird, but also I was worried about how the audience would react to this thing. But what a movie, like basically to be front row for it because it's such a it's a towering performance by jennifer lopez i think at the full height of her powers in a way i feel like um she just wasn't really served well by a lot of movies um you know we, we had out of sight which is fantastic right and i, I love like 20 years ago and it was 20 years ago and then it's been like a lot of rom-coms, a lot of like, I think there were some thrillers in there, but nothing like super notable. And this movie, she just comes out and is just like the queen of the screen. And it's it's astounding. So like that, her introduction sequence is iconic, is is likely going to be one of my favorite scenes of the year overall, and certainly is right now. Uh, but her, the way she owns this character, I think feels just as powerful as something like um like any like masterful Scorsese character uh you know representing somebody you just want to be and the relationship between them seems so 
I don't know, just so real. Like after that, uh, after the iconic opening dance, then we cut to Jennifer Lopez on a roof in her fur coat, just like chilling, like chilling in the most like regal way possible, smoking a cigarette. And she just owns that screen. She owns every inch of it. And then they do the thing where she just invites Constant Wu to like basically be bundled up with her. And as an image... Yeah. Climb into my fur. Yeah. Which is just For, like an amazing line. There's a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, but also like, yeah, as a just like as a symbolism of friendship and two people getting to know each other, I thought was really powerful. So, you know, overall. That's what I also, mm-hmm. that's what I also really like about their friendship, because like it's sort of almost immediately maternal in yes, a sense. Yes. Right. Jennifer Lopez's character is like older I think she's supposed to be, what, like 10 to 15 years older. Right, right. And uh, J-Lo is also, her character is also a mom. Like, over the course of the movie, Constance Wu's character also becomes a mom. And I love that, like, ultimately, when you sort of have, like, this, like, fracturing in their friendship, it's because, like, they have a mutual understanding of, like, what it is to, like, have to be a mom and like make certain sacrifices mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let's save some of that for spoilers i guess because like there's a lot of stuff to dive into there i will say like for, for, just for the rest of the movie like the actual heist aspect of it i thought was really it wasn't it wasn't like a super complex thing but i think it was done really well and this movie as a statement of like people responding to the financial crisis uh as a statement of people basically just hustling to survive in america like there, there's so many things you could read into this movie. Like, like Jeff, like, yeah, they're definitely doing bad things right now. But I'm looking at, like, all the crappy startups trying to IPO right now and how, like, dirty this whole process oh, yeah. is. Like, the Airbnb thing is a joke. It is absolutely ridiculous. But this guy You're is probably... not going to get any argument from me on yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, but it is... And the movie makes this point very clearly at the end, too. But it is, it is the state of the world. And I don't... Like, per- personally, like, I don't blame... Some people for trying to get a piece of it. Uh, the ulti- the, the big argument. Well, no, the big argument is uh, the story of America is we're all trying to get a piece of it, basically. But it's what the problem is like, how far do you go and who do you hurt to get that along the way? And that's that's when like things get real and then you can make certain judgments. But I do think the core of these characters, the power of the filmmaking too, like um, Lorraine's the music, the music is amazing. criminal like th- that is now the best way to s- to think of criminal <laughs> basically like mm-hmm. Fiona Apple's great 90s song um yeah and that um, that song also had a great video but this is like this is the thing I'll always think of now there's just so much going on here uh, I've been following Lorraine Scafaro's career for a while I really liked um was it how to meet a friend at the end of the world that was yeah, a fun a great movie. little indie yeah I haven't seen the meddler but I've heard good things and yeah just in terms of like we've seen so many movies try to do Scorsese and I think a lot of them feel like Scorsese light at certain points and this one feels like okay I've seen Goodfellas let's invert this a little you'll have the sort of like you know the younger person being in love with this uh this persona of something that you know they eventually want to be uh and yeah things get crazy things get paranoid by the end uh but I think like this movie just does so many new things um I don't know I just I wish everybody could see this thing because it's astounding I think with regard to sort of like the more like populist angle, like the economic angle of this movie, I feel like 
people are sort of generally talking about like, oh, it's like about the 99%, blah, 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 blah. But I feel like the movie is actually sort of smarter than like it's given credit for because it's not just about like economic inequality. Like these women are strippers for basically like almost exclusively Wall Street bros, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not just about like, oh, those men have money and we don't. They're specifically existing in like a trickle down like uh, ecosphere where like it's only if like those guys are willing to sort of like give out money that like they get to live themselves. Mm -hmm. And so when they decide to when they decide that like because of the recession, because of like mass unemployment uh, within like the Wall Street banks, that like all of those like sources of revenue have dried up. Mm-hmm. It like really speaks to like the desperation and sort of like the what do you call it? Like the precarity of like that type of economy that like it can only exist sure. if like the largesse is willing to be there. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that's like the point I want to get across. Excellent. Any other thoughts before we head into spoilers? Uh, yeah, I'd yeah. like to att- attempt, and it's 2019, so it's hard to to find nuance, <laughs> but I'd like to attempt to make a nuanced point that will probably get me in trouble. Oh, this always but ends I'm, well. Great job. This always ends well for me. <laughs> I know, I know, but I'm going to attempt to say it. Uh, with the baseline that I, I did enjoy this movie, and I agree with the majority of what you guys have been saying about uh, the performances, about how it's a, a fun inversion of a trope we're familiar with, and how well the movie works, and 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 all of that, I... I do think here's here's my question. Isn't the goal now and ha- before I say this, understanding that the world is a certain way right now and it is fun seeing something we don't usually get to see, which is women doing this, mm-hmm. right? It's 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 a great opportunity at this point of time in the world to see this and and it does feel empowering. It does it does I read all of that in the movie and I understand that many people get that out of it and I think it's excellent. But isn't the goal to be that 20 years from now this movie seems repugnant? Isn't the isn't the idea like if we're actually progressing and if if the world goes the way it has the last 20 years, 20 years from now shouldn't we look at this movie and be really off put by it and say man these are horrible people who did horrible things to people why are they why are they horrible people though jeff that's what i'm trying to understand because i think the movie does paint a sympathetic portrait of these characters there's certainly people who they they don't really have much they're scraping by really hard to like try to piece a life together in a world in a society that makes it hard to survive basically so like uh, yes things get rough and we'll get into that in spoilers but like initially, are they horrible from the start? When do they become no, horrible? No, 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 like, no. I, I think they do start out what pretty the, their sympathetic. Their actions make them. Their actions make them horrible. By when the, they decided towards the when end, they, when sure. they decide to start drugging people, mm-hmm. that is a horrible act. That is a horrible. And in the same way that there are movies, I was trying to think of one, but I'm sure there are some that escape me right now. But I'm sure there are movies from the 70s and 80s that seemed like fun romps at the time. Porky's is probably a great example. Sure. I don't, Although Every James Bond it. movie, sure. Yeah. Yes, yes. Where, where, like, you know, the 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 man does something that at the time felt hilarious. Like, oh, let's, you know, 
drug the women or what? I don't know. I, I don't want to mm-hmm. put my foot in my mouth any more than I already am. But the, I, I'm sure there are a bunch of movies that at the time felt like, oh, it's uh, harmless, good fun or, or, or even differently like, than that. It is boys will be boys. And Did we watch tw- completely different movies? <laughs> because yeah, I feel yeah. like the movie way more than the New York Magazine article is based on, like really got into how like disturbing all of the stuff was. There's like a whole like nightmare sequence, like especially because of how much all of this is like weighing on the main character. Like I feel like if the New York Mag article that the movie is based on sort of gave it this like populist gloss Mm -hmm. like the movie the adaptation i think is like much more like preoccupied with like how dark and like like truly like unforgivable a lot of their actions are i think the movie is pretty aware that uh, the things they're doing is despicable and we're having you know well we were introduced to these characters we want them to get theirs you know they're struggling they they need money we want them to get money and even as they're starting to do bad things they question it certainly uh constance Wu's character questions it. i don't think the movie ever lets them off the hook like at all my my reading of it isn't that the movie isn't letting them off the hook my my reading of it is that the movie is absolutely letting them off the hook by making it seem as if they uh, you know, oh man, well, but they but they felt so bad about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, well, well were such the, the, good this is certainly and they the, liked each other so yeah. much, and they had kids. And this oh, is for spoilers, by the way. This is like my my response to this yeah. would be spoilers. <laughs> but literally, literally, we see the cost of their actions, and it's it's mentioned. Like the the movie ends by mentioning the cost of their actions, and maybe that's not enough, but certainly more than I think most of the Wall Street people who were responsible for the financial crisis got, you know? I think if you compare it, as long as, like, we're on, like, a Scorsese streak, I feel like if you compare this to something like The Wolf of Wall Street, it has, like, way more of a sense of how horrific these women acted. That was my complaint about Wolf of Wall Street as well. I, I absolutely took that movie to the same to task in the same manner mm-hmm. that I would. I, and, it, and I agree, it's way worse than The Wolf of Wall Street. But it's also, I 100% agree. It's also Goodfellas. That movie starts with, you know, our characters uh, dealing with a dead body in a trunk and we want to we wanna love them, right? These are the people you're rooting for throughout this movie too. Like it is, this is what he's always, like Scorsese's films have always had like one foot in darkness and one foot in the light and us like following that darkness, I think. And, Taxi Driver is a movie like I don't I don't particularly like watching because it is so dirty and so grimy and like I, I'm certainly not looking forward to Joker, which is apparently heavily influenced by that, as you can tell. Um, but I don't think any of the like this movie has consequences in ways that most Scorsese movies do not. Like even Goodfellas really, really doesn't by the end. I, I think that's a fair reading of this movie. I I felt like the ending and again. We'll talk in detail, but <laughs> Spoilers, yeah. it was much more uh, sympathetic to the characters than I thought mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it deserved. Let's, I thought, wh- yeah. why don't we go there? Let's go to spoilers okay. right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. 
I think that the movie is extremely aware that like the scheme that they have concocted is like brutal and really morally repellent. And at the same time, they have like an amazingly complicated friendship that sort of like had to basically fall apart because they couldn't agree on like what they were supposed to make out of these like crimes that they were doing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I had a hard time with I, what I believe if my memory serves is the very last line of the movie, uh, which is uh, Jennifer Lopez saying, you know, that's what um, the whole world is or America is America is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, dancing and or paying or whatever, and I felt like, yeah, that, I mean, that's Trump's America, right? That's the America. That's not Trump's I don't... America. That's all. Of, that's America. That's been well, America. That's, but, that's the story of America in general, right? That's not Trump's like, America. I feel like the tone this movie hits at the end is got to get yours, man. No, you, you it can't doesn't blame these women because you got to get yours. And it I just, doesn't. It, I don't think it approves that line. Like that's the thing. Like I think of a movie like um, where, what was the Brad Pitt one? Also, like yeah, we yeah. know from the the middle of the movie mm-hmm. that J Lo is like the much more callous one. Yes. she's not putting out like the philosophy of the movie. She's giving you her interpretation of how she justified her actions. But we also know that she is the one who was willing to put this plan together and sort of like willing to push all of these uh, girls who were probably like not that good that probably mm-hmm. should not have like been within all of this like yep. into doing these like really heinous things and so i don't think that that's how you're supposed to take those words it's just it's it is an insight from somebody who's become kind of a psychopath in this film yeah but it's an insight that rings true i think it does kind of ring true i don't like support that idea but it does reflect the world and i don't yeah i don't condemn the movie for that that's the thing i was thinking of killing them softly which is such a weird little indie movie, literally about um, you know America and capitalism and you know post financial crisis and everything. Uh, and I, I didn't really appreciate that movie because that movie really hammered in every single point. Like there were news broadcasts about um, you know, politics, there was news podcasts about the state of the world, and this movie is just people struggling to get by. They find one path to get there and they take it. But also, I think the movie at least gives you enough uh, enough to think like, man, I. Yeah, sure. It's rough out there because you kind of have no other path in this country. Um, I yeah, yeah. I don't fully agree with it, Jeff, but I think the movie makes a sympathetic case for it at least. I think that the mo- that line about like how the entire country is a strip club mm-hmm. also sort of gets you. Also provides insight into like how like reductive her world is. And, like, in a way, like, that's also kind of sad, you know? Like, it's sort of, like, eat or be eaten for her. And, like, I think that, like, I don't quite agree with Devendra Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, how much these women are scrabbling. Like, I think when J-Lo sort of, like, is forced to go work at, like, Old Navy or something in the middle of the recession, we get more of that. Yeah. Um, but I think that like the movie is full of like material pleasures, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fetishization and... <laughs> of materialism. I mean, it fetishizes materialism and it, and there is a lot of living vicariously through these women in the same way that Wolf of Wall Street, like you could walk away from that or Scarface or whatever. You could walk away from that, those movies going, 
man, that's the that's the goal. Yeah. That's what I want to be. Or Casino yeah. or Goodfellas or like it is it is all these things. Like that's the thing I think with a lot of movies too, right? We wanna I think on some level we we kind of envy these things. Like we wanna be as cool as some of these characters or have these things that these characters do. Even though, like, yeah, I'm not a super materialistic person, but yeah, sure. I think I think a super fast car or something, it'd be cool to be that guy that had a, you know, kick-ass James Bond car or something. So in that respect, like, yeah, it's just living vicariously through it. I actually have, like, a slightly different read on, like, all of the materialism mm-hmm. in the movie. I think if you watch something like James Bond, you look at his suits, you look at his, like, Aston Martin, yeah. so much of, like, all of that stuff is meant to be enviable. And, like, you know that because then you have of like Pierce Brosnan or James Daniel Craig <laughs> or whoever come out on like TV in commercials and like Aston Martin commercials and that's exactly what you're supposed to want I think that with this movie it's slightly different because for me the way that I read it is like one thing that like I found amazing about this movie is like the fashion and how like like sort of tacky it was it was oh, sure. like glamorous and also tacky and like dated in a way that is very much like <laughs> not dated too much but definitively dated and so even as these women are luxuriating and like their shoes and like fur coats and bags and all of this stuff like on the one hand uh, like, yeah, like all of that, like all of those shopping sprees, like look really fun. On the other hand, you're sort of like, oh, like you earned your money and like did all of these stuff, like amazing, sorry, and did all of these like heinous things. Mm-hmm. And like, that's all you got out of it. Like those tacky shoes that are going to go <laughs> out of season in like two years. And so like, it was like those shopping sprees like weren't like 100% fluff Mm -hmm. like it was like a little bit sad you know it's a little sad because like yeah they're not they're not the people with the high-end taste as like yeah a james bond or somebody yeah a super high class person will be it's a it's a class commentary too in terms of like what they think is actually so enviable and so great but i think it's that part of it is relatable too i'd say for sure my goal for the world Mm -hmm. is that i live or that we all live long enough to say hustlers oh man that movie didn't age well that's my that's my goal for the world or maybe if, it'll age differently like here's the thing i think a lot of movies that seem off-putting at first end up being reflective and kind of true or at least to like you may like i don't know jeff like if you rewatch it did you see it with your wife at all no unfortunately yeah. i would if love you, i would have loved to have gotten her perspective I, on it yeah I yeah I, I think like this is a movie that begs rewatching. it is there's a lot of depth here i think there's a lot more going on than just bad you know crappy people behaving badly uh the movie sets up all these characters in a way that i feel i just felt i just really felt for them and i think your your complaint about the sentimentality at the end certainly makes sense but it's also wrong what's that is wrong yeah yeah it's well wrong. I, I could sorry. see you're so wrong i could see why you say that jeff well, but I, yeah I, I don't think it ends it's not a happy ending for those characters it's more like putting a finishing note on this like emotional journey these two characters were but it's not like they're friends again it's not like it's not like everything's fixed it's just like a it's an emotional note for me but ingu what did you think of that i feel like if this movie didn't have what Jeff is calling the sentimentality. Mm-hmm. This movie would be fine. 
Like it would be Ocean's Eleven. You right. would have like a bunch of charisma. You would have a heist. You would have like a bunch of like cool things to look at. And I would never think about it again. Like the reason why this movie is as powerful as it is, is like literally the sentimentality. It's mm-hmm. like the fact that like you have these two women who are so lonely in like their own specific way. I I think that, like, you only get sort of, like, little snippets of, like, their backstory. But with Constance Wu's character, you get the sense that, like, she did not have... She had, like, an incredibly unhappy childhood. You get a lot less backstory with J-Lo's character. But I think that, like, the way that she dotes on her uh, daughter and the way that, like, she's... She picks up new underlings, like, all the time, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I think, like, those two things really speak to, like, mm-hmm. a kind of, like, damage that they have been nursing, and they finally found, like, a sort of, like, haven in each other. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the movie, they really can't be friends again, because they were tied to this thing. And I think that with Constance Wu's character, I, I think that, like, JLo's character doesn't sort of have, like, any sort of long-term planning right right and i think with constance Wu's character like there's a point in the movie where she realizes this is not like a sustainable venture Mm -hmm. like they're being reckless and also like they start getting copycats (laughs) and so (laughs) there's this kind of like tragedy that's sort of like written into their scheme like Mm -hmm. from the start right and so you see how like they're diverging views on like this plan is going to result in like a kind of permanent like embitterment essentially Mm -hmm. and by the end of the movie like these two people who for whom like as far as like the universe of the movie is concerned like are basically each other's soulmates yeah can never be friends again like that's devastating. It's it's incredibly sad. And I will say the sent like the sentimentality at the end too. It's not like it comes out of nowhere. The entire that is the structure of the entire movie is the relationship between these two women and sort of like the the found family they build together too, which I find I found really powerful. Like that whole Christmas sequence, even though it was like, oh yeah, it's it's completely materialistic. They they shout money, but also like it is it it's really fascinating to see who's there. And how they support each other. And, like, it is this, like, one glimpse of joy that all these people get to have, even though, like, yeah, things will end badly. You know things will get en- will end badly. Like, even if you haven't read the articles, like, you know how stories like this end. But I found that one scene of joy of everybody. Like, this movie is such a great celebration of joy. And I think we don't get that sort of thing enough. So, yeah, I'm – to me, the, the sentimentality certainly fit. And it didn't feel like – pat it didn't feel cloying it felt uh just right for what this story is at least and i think that like it's important to note that like this friendship that the movie lays out for the audience like apparently that's like all lorene scafari is doing like if you there was like an interview with like the real life counterpart to Constance Wu's character. And she was like, oh, we weren't really friends. We were just like doing this scheme together. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that like she is able to craft this friendship that feels amazingly real um, out of 
I don't know. Sorry, like her imagination. Wow, like what an act. What an act. Like, that's 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 a negative for me. Like that's what's so disingenuous about it is that it like it forgives the the acts these real life acts by you know pouring syrup on but it. But it, it doesn't and, forgive it though. Like we we see they went to jail. They had probation. Like the only person who's who yeah. kind of gets out is Constance Wu's character who takes the plea deal. But even then, like that comes at the cost of like you know burning I, this, I, I this major the, relationship in her life. I think the movie wistfully tells us we were hurricanes, weren't we? We were a couple of hurricanes. Mm-hmm. And, and we're supposed to think, yeah, wasn't it great? The good times when they were poisoning people, wasn't it great? I don't know. It just didn't sit well with me. And and uh, But again, I enjoyed large swaths of this mm-hmm. movie. One of the things that I wanted to bring up with you guys that I really thought was cool and I wish there was more of in the movie is some fun – structural things, uh, filmmaking things that were just barely hinted at Mm -hmm. in the sort of last section of the movie with some of the, uh, interview stuff. There's, there's one section where, um, the characters refer to something and it gets bleeped out. Yeah. Yeah. And then another section where, she forces uh, the interviewer to turn her recorder off, and then we get we go yeah. silent. And then and there's the, the was... wiretap scene too, which I the yeah. only audio comes out of the wiretap, which is fun. Yeah, so awesome. And I thought I wish we had had more of that stuff throughout. It made it feel in those moments like, oh, we're this movie is so so committed to verisimilitude that it's not going to even let us hear dialogue Mm -hmm. that they didn't get an actual recording of, you know, it was was cool. It's like, if you turn off the recorder, we don't know what was said because (laughs) this movie is, you know, would take the actual transcripts and built a movie around it. It made it feel so cool and authentic Mm -hmm. right there. And I, I wish I felt like all that stuff was backloaded into the end of the movie. And I, I love, I would have loved to have structurally it embrace that, aesthetic earlier and i think it would have made it seem yeah. so much more interesting i, I, feel, I was so I interested like by that stuff you do get some great aesthetic choices early on though like that that jennifer lopez opening dude is like it is so it is shot perfectly it frames her like you know like somebody who's superhuman basically like we spend so much time talking about superheroes enhanced by cg uh, you know, th- th- there's no CG here, at least. Like, right I now, don't this know, is all her I doing that. I don't know that. if that's true or not. Yeah. I don't know how much. I mean, there may be some. There, there may, may be some, but the, the, like, <laughs> the, those are moves humans can do, right? And yes. you may need to be, practice a lot, and you may need to be very fit. But you know, it it seems like if you're preparing for a movie like this, uh, she had time to get very fit, and it kind of shows. Um, um, she's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah and I will I will cop to my own male gaze during that moment. My goodness, <laughs> I, how how could you not? Be taken I will say. I also throw a shout out to basically all the supporting cast because I think there's a strong roster of people like Lizzo's in this movie, Cardi B is in this movie, and adding talk about verisimilitude by the way like Cardi B who's somebody who was a stripper at one point and now has become like a huge star. Um, she adds a lot to this movie as well. That uh, that Usher cameo, I think, is hilarious. Like, there are just so it many really fun funny. things in this movie. Like, it's it's mostly fun until you know the drugging gets bad, and uh, <laughs> th- there's certainly a lot of bad consequences there for sure at the end. I don't think you even have to wait that long for like the drugging to get bad. Yes. Like, I think yeah. what is it like one of the very first times. They worry that, like, they have killed the guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you see from, like, pretty much, like, the moment the plan is introduced that, like... But it doesn't stop them. No. Yeah, but that's 
the point. Yeah. The point yeah. is that like it's horrific and they couldn't need and they, to do it. Right. When the, that makes them terrible people. No <laughs> one is my saying mind. that they weren't terrible people, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know where yes, any of they are. They are from. terrible people. They Yeah, they, we're we're, yeah, we're all agreeing. We're all agreeing. Yes. We're all agreeing. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh But that that does not kill the movie because yeah, first of all, like half of Scorsese's things are about literal terrible people too that we end up rooting for in some fashion. Like this doesn't seem as bad as certainly like uh it was Travis Bickle's final like takedown in murder spree or something. Like even though many of those people were bad guys. I don't know. There there's a certain morality here that I feel like we judge against some of these movies and maybe not others. So I, well, yeah. I, I- I think I'm consistent. I will say that. I think I'm consistent. I have criticized movies for this in the past that that, that aren't this movie. Uh, but also, you know, I, I'm not saying that it, this movie had to come out and say these things mm-hmm. I, I'm or, you know, take a stand and say these are bad people. I'm just saying don't whitewash their their horrible things yeah. by making them so sympathetic and so, um, you know, uh, I feel like it gets schmaltzy at the end because mm-hmm. it, the movie falls in love with its own characters and I wish it hadn't. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not asking the movie to take a stand, a moral stand. I'm asking the movie to just not do the opposite, which is like, but they're hurt people, hurt people. I don't think they, they were, they weren't, the they weren't saying that like as the, as the excuse, like it was, it was almost like trotted out as the literal trite line, you know, like, oh, I've heard people say this before. Maybe this excuses my behavior. I don't know. And she just kind of says it. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like so much of like that later interview is like about her being in. I don't think she's like a completely unreliable narrator, Mm -hmm. but she's certainly an evasive interviewee. And I think one of the things that like after the movie ended and I sat back and think about it. And thought about it, like, I think one of the things I ended up appreciating the most is sort of like how the movie builds toward that final breakup between the two friends and how whenever uh, Ramona, the JLo character, Mm -hmm. is brought up by the interviewer, then suddenly, um, essentially, like, uh, Constance Wu's character gets her heckles up mm-hmm. and gets like very defensive, gets like very shut down, and is sort of like almost tricked into saying anything about like her friend, mm-hmm. and is like extremely defensive about like what like what the Ramona say, like yeah. what the Ramona say about me, and the fact that like she still cares so much about like her friend even though she's also willing to like rat out her front. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, I really think that that like speaks so much to the complexity of this, like near codependency. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to rewatch this with my wife. Um, yeah. Let us know what everybody thinks about this movie and this episode. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. If you liked this episode, please drop us a review. That's always super helpful on iTunes. Our theme music is by Adam Warrock. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Ingu Kang, where can we find you on the internet today? I write for Slate. On Twitter, I am at Ingu Kang. And Jeff? 
I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And uh, I do a video game podcast called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And I also do a live play Dungeons & Dragons show that I am returning to so this good. week. I'm very, very excited. Thank you. It's called The Dungeon Run. And it, it um, broadcasts live Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. Uh, episodes are also archived archived on YouTube and as an audio podcast. Uh, and this is a perfect week to jump on if you're intimidated because the story's been going. I've been out for a month, so I'm going to come <laughs> back and catch everybody up, and it'd be a perfect time to jump back on The Dungeon Run. Perfect. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra. I write about tech at Engadget.com. Keep an eye out there because we're going to be bringing that podcast back soon. Uh, I'm very excited about that. That's also why I'm not like as updating No More Tech very much anymore, but... I'm going to do something there. I'm, I'm still thinking about that. And also, I just reviewed the uh, Switch Lite, so go check out that review over in Gadget. Ooh. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. We're out. We watched the